So, uh, like Luke said, we've been going through uh, Advent season for the past few months, and uh, we've been talking about basically the main theme of Advent, which is waiting, waiting for Jesus, and talked about how our spiritual ancestors waited for the first coming of God's Son, the Messiah, and and Jesus came uh, as a baby in a manger, and he talked about how now we are all waiting for him to come again, that same Messiah, uh, to come and be with us and rescue us and make all things right. Uh, and we talked about how we wait for him now, even today, and, and little things. We wait for him to come and heal. We wait for him to uh, come and speak. We wait for him to uh, help us in all sorts of stuff today. So, um, sorry, my mic is being a little, I'm getting a lot of feedback. Terry, if you could, uh, cool. I already see that you're fixing it. It's great. Uh, okay, so as I was saying, that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about how we've been waiting for Jesus, uh, and that's kind of been the theme of Advent. Well, uh, now Christmas has come. If you didn't notice, it did. Uh, it happened uh, a couple of days ago. If you missed it, that really stinks. Uh, but uh, Christmas has come, and Jesus has come, and we are celebrating that he's finally here. We're not waiting uh, anymore, um, at least thematically in our sermons. Uh, now we are celebrating that he has come. And so I was trying to think about what we were going to preach, what we are going to talk about today, um, just in that vein of Jesus being here. And there's a lot of really great stories. Um, and we got stories of, you know, the shepherds coming to Jesus and coming to meet him. We have uh, the Magi coming to visit Jesus and some of the not-so-great stories, like Herod killing all of the babies, trying to uh, get rid of this true king of the Jews. Um, but my heart kept landing in this one uh, section of scripture in Luke chapter 2, and it's when uh, Jesus is presented at the temple. And I think my heart just stuck there because it's, you know, unlike Herod trying to kill all the babies and stuff, it's a really happy scripture. It's a really happy place in the Bible. Um, and so just over the past few weeks, God has just been putting my heart there. And I kind of just couldn't shake it. And it's just been giving me a lot of hope every time that I've, I've read it and every time that I think about it. And my hope this morning, uh, preaching in this passage, that it'll do the same for you. Um, so, without any further ado, and also I just wanted to mention, uh, last time I preached I told y'all that I didn't have any, any uh, stories for you. And I don't even think that was true. I think I probably still told a story or two. And, uh, but anyway, today is different. I got plenty of stories for you, uh, so do not fret. And also, uh, this... Jonathan told me I should preach however long I want, so uh, he gave me permission, and he's the pastor's son, so I feel like whatever he says goes. So, uh, strap in. Here we go. Um, so, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, so you guys can go ahead and go there, starting in uh, verse 25. So um, just a little bit of context, Jesus is, bring, Jesus is coming into uh, the temple. His parents are bringing him in, and they're going to consecrate him to the Lord. And the law of Moses says that anybody who, um, or any, the first one to open the womb, uh, any firstborn of animal or person is supposed to be uh, consecrated, dedicated to the Lord. And so Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus into the temple to commit him to the Lord. And so uh, as he's coming in, and gives us, it, it shifts our attention from Jesus to this other person named Simeon. Simeon is, is where we're going to be putting all of our focus this morning. So in verse 25 is what it says about Simeon. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and God-fearing. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit 
that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So we learn a lot about Simeon just in these first couple of verses. We find out uh, that he was a righteous man. He was a God-fearing man. Uh, The Holy Spirit was on him. And so all these things about him. But the thing I want to focus on the most this morning is this last detail that it says about him. It says, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before seeing the Lord's Messiah. Here's the thing I want to focus on about Simeon today is that the Lord, he is a man to whom the Lord had made a promise. And the first point today that I want to make is that our God is a promise-making God. God makes promises to people. Now, this is something that, like, that some people get excited about, or it's some things that people blow out of proportion, or it's something that some of us try to ignore. But I think for the most part, for most of us, it's something that's kind of neat, but it's not something that's super relevant to our lives. Like, oh yeah, God makes promises, God keeps promises, but I don't really know what that means for me in my walk. And so uh, my hope is that this morning, talking about God making promises, that that will become relevant to you and that it will renew hope in your heart today. You see, um, God has always been a promise-making God. Uh, If you go back and you look, uh, God made promises to Noah. He promised that the Lord would never flood the earth again. He promised him that he would deliver him and his family if they would build an ark. He did that. Uh, God has promised to um, Abram. He promised him and his wife in their old age that they were going to have a son. And they were like around 70 years old at the time. And he did it. And God uh, made promises to all of his descendants after him. He made that promise to Abram. Hey, your descendants are going to outnumber the sand on the sea and the stars in the sky. And he made that, he renewed that promise to Isaac. He renewed that promise to Jacob. And then to Joseph, he made promises to him that Joseph was really uh, quick to share and probably shouldn't have been so transparent, but he showed Joseph that, you know, all of his brothers and his family were going to bow down to him. Sometimes promises are things that you should keep to yourself. Uh, and, but, you know, he made that promise to him and he ended up fulfilling it. And so uh, I could keep on going, but you see all throughout the Bible that God is a God who's always making promises. Now, that kind of brings us to the question of, like, why does God make promises? Why is he so much in the business of making promises to people all the time? Which is kind of funny. Uh, most of the time, God's like, do what I do. Be like me. Uh, but with some things, he's like, yeah, I do that, you don't do that. Uh, and kind of promises is one of those things. It's like, uh, do not swear an oath. Just say yes or no. Let your yes be yes and no be no is what Jesus tells us. Uh, but God is out here just making promises all the time. Uh, and so uh, it's kind of like taking vengeance. God's like, I do that, you don't do that. Me good at that, you not good at that. Uh, so I do that, you're not going to do that. And promises is kind of one of those things apparently in the Bible. So, uh, so why does God make promises? Um, I'm going to just say I'm not totally sure. Uh, they told me in preaching class, I said that in preaching class, and they're like, don't, don't tell people that you don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's unfortunate because I don't know a lot of things. And so uh, that'll probably just still end up happening, and it's happening right now. So uh, I will say I don't know exactly why God is making promises, but I do have a few theories. Um, one uh, I think is a good candidate is Jesus says in, I think it's John 4, 14, 29, I think, uh, 
Jesus is telling them all these things. He's telling them about how he's going to send them the Holy Spirit. He's telling them about how he's going to die and return back to life. And he says, I tell you all these things ahead of time so that when it happens, you know that it was me. That was a paraphrase, uh, but that's, that's basically what he says. And so I think a lot of times God tells, gives us these promises so that whenever these amazing things that he does come to fruition, that we're not just like, oh, wow, that was a really neat thing that happened. Uh, but we're like, oh, wow, God said that he was going to do that, and he did that. And so that he can get the proper amount of glory for it. I think other times uh, God might be giving promises like as a test for us. I think about Abraham having to offer Isaac up on the altar. That was a test because God had promised him, your descendants will outnumber the stars, and this is his only son. And so God was like, how much do you trust my promise that I made to you? So I think sometimes a promise can be a test to us. Other times, I think that God might just be a little bit more like us than we think. I think God a lot of times is way less like us than we imagine, uh, and I think other times he's way more like us than we imagine uh, with different things. Um, Amos 3, 7, I think is what it was. Uh, I'm paraphrasing again, so don't call me out on this, but he says God does nothing without first revealing it to his prophets. Why is that? I'm thinking God might be like my wife a little bit. My wife hates surprises. I love surprises. Uh, you know, anytime that she is doing something really awesome, she can't help but tell somebody. Uh, she, and so, like, I really want surprises. Like, I, I really want to give them and people to be surprised. And she uh, does not like that. She wants to figure it out or tell you as soon as possible. Like, uh, she'll be planning my Christmas present, and I really want to be surprised on Sunday morning at Christmas and, or Christmas morning. And she'll be like, hey, do you, like, a month la- earlier, she'll be like, hey, do you want to know what I got you for Christmas? And I'm like, no. She's like, it's a camera. <laughs> like, awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for that. And if I plan, I don't know if I've ever told you all this story or not, but uh, if I'm planning a surprise, she will do her very hardest to spoil that surprise for herself and figure it out because she just can't wait. She's so excited. And so like, Whenever, I was, whenever we were getting married, whenever I got the engagement ring, I didn't really know where I could hide it. Uh, and so I put it in the glove box of my car, and I locked it up. And one day, uh, I, she, was like, she left the house for a little while, and like she was gone for a long time. Like She said she was going to find her keys in my car. And um, she was taking a really long time. And so I walked outside to figure out what she was doing. And I looked, and I just saw her like bent over, in the passenger side door and I walk closer and the glove box is open and she's holding the ring box in her hand. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, nothing. And she like slams it shut and like runs away. And so she's like that kind of person who she's like always trying to figure out the surprises. But anyway, I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, I think that God might be like Maritza in sometimes, in some ways, is that whenever you're doing something really amazing, you just can't help but clue people into it. You just can't help but bring somebody else into it. Hey, I'm doing this really amazing thing. I got this really amazing gift. I really, I want to tell you about it. I I just got to tell you about it before it happens. And so I think sometimes God's like that. And I had some other fourth reason, but I can't think about it right now. So we'll just keep on moving. But anyway, no matter what the purpose is, I don't know what the reason is totally. It might be different sometimes for each, each scenario, but God makes promises either way. No matter what the reason, God has been making promises, and he's a promise-making God. 
Now, um, I want to share a story with you about one of my favorite promises um, that I've heard. And this is a promise uh, today. And this is the thing about promises. Is sometimes God's making promises to nations and to groups as a whole. Um, but sometimes God's coming and making promises just to individuals and people. And he's still doing that today, actually. Um, there is my favorite, one of my favorite pastors. Is, his name is Jim Simbla. I've talked about him a lot uh, from the pulpit. I'm hoping I haven't already shared this story with you before. But uh, Jim Simbla, he started out, he was about 20-something, and he was, him and his wife were going into just business. They, they were in New York, and they worked in, like, marketing or something like that. And all of a sudden, the Lord came to them as, like, you know, 24, 25-year-olds, and he said he really, they really felt just called to go into ministry. And so somebody found them, like, this nice little church in Newark, New Jersey, and they were like, uh, you know, it, it was a pretty nice little church, probably about 50 people. They were able to make a nice salary and a living and stuff. And they're like, okay, all right, well, maybe we can figure this out. You know, they didn't have any ministry experience. They didn't have, uh, like, he didn't go to Bible college or seminary or anything like that. He was like, okay, you know, kind of figuring this out. And then one day, not too long after they got started, um, her father-in-law, who was a, uh, a big pastor guy who kind of got them that job, he said, hey, this, this church in Brooklyn called the Brooklyn Tabernacle needs some help. Like, would you just go over there and, and preach just for like a few weeks? And he was like, sure, you know, I can do anything for a couple of weeks. And he gets over there, and this church is a mess. Um, it had a sanctuary, a lot like this one probably, about, fit about 200 people. And, uh, but they didn't need near that much because there were 15 people there. Uh, they didn't have any money. They could barely make the mortgage each week. They were pretty sure somebody was stealing out of the, uh, out of the offering plate thingies. Um, when he was preaching there, uh, one of the first weeks, uh, there was a big boom, uh, this big crack, and he looked over, and like five people were sitting on a pew, and it just like collapsed in the middle of his preaching. Uh, and so uh, there was like the paint was coming off the walls and all this stuff, and just they didn't have air conditioning either. They couldn't afford to fix the AC. And so this church is just a mess. And, you know, he's like, all right, just two more weeks. And uh, the second week he shows up to go preach. Uh, the pastor's gone. And he's like, hey, I'm out. See you later. <laughs> and so uh, the guy's like, all right, well, I'm going to get out of here. Uh, it really stinks to be this church. And um, he felt like uh, the Lord was calling him to, to stay there, to be there. And so him and his wife ended up uh, coming to this 15-person church, this rundown thing with no money and uh, people who are far from spiritual, stealing from the offering plate and stuff like that. And so he's at this church, and... Uh, Every week he thinks about quitting. It's tough. Um, and basically he ended up getting this cough, and he went down to Florida and just to kind of like clear up his whatever uh, medical thing. Steve could tell you more about that. But um, he ends up going down to Florida for a trip to kind of see if he could improve his health. And he goes out on a fishing, uh, a fishing excursion one day, and he's just like at his breaking point, and he's like, Lord, I cannot, I can't do this. Like, I can't handle this church. Um, I need you, basically. And so the, he was just standing there, uh, just kind of cr- calling out to the Lord in that way. And <clears throat> this is what it says in his words. It says, Lord, I have no idea how to be a successful pastor. I prayed softly out there on the water. I haven't been trained 
All I know is that my wife and I are working in the middle of New York City with people dying on every side, overdosing from heroin, consumed by materialism, and all the rest. If the gospel is so powerful, I couldn't finish the sentence. Tears choked me. Fortunately, the others on the boat were too far away to notice as they studied their lines in the blue-green water. Then quietly but forcefully, in words heard not with my ear but deep within my spirit, I sensed God speaking. And this is what he heard. If you and your wife will lead my people to pray and call upon my name, you will never lack for something fresh to preach. I will supply all the money that's needed, both for the church and for your family, and you will never have a building large enough to contain the crowds that I will send in response. Wow. I want to just take a minute and put yourself in his shoes and imagine yourself being there and then imagine being fully convicted, convinced that you heard that from the Lord. He says, I was overwhelmed. My tears intensified. I knew I had heard from God even though I had not experienced some strange vision, nothing sensational or peculiar. He was telling me that my hunger for him and his transforming power would be satisfied. As the boat docked later that afternoon, I felt wonderfully calm. A few days later, I flew back to New York, still the same young pastor I had always been. But God had promised to provide. A holy excitement came over me. I actually looked forward to the next Sunday morning on Atlantic Avenue. I don't know about y'all, but that touched my heart deeply. The fact that the Lord would come and be so kind and speak into his situation in that way. And uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but um, it's about the most beautiful thing that can happen to you. Um, to be in such a place of deep brokenness and despair and have the Lord come and speak into your situation. And not just to make a promise, but to show that he's near. But anyway, so I, just, I see what it did, what happens when the Lord comes and speaks. Not talking about fulfillment, not talking about God doing what he said he was going to do, but just the Lord coming and speaking into your situation in that way and the effect that it had on him. Being overcome with joy, being overcome with thoughts of despair, leaving, and actually being encouraged for the first time. That's what happens whenever God's making promises. Now, here's the thing. Not everybody feels the same way when we talk about God making promises. And there, I think there's many reasons for that. Uh, one of them being is that uh, we get a little nervous about promises because we have been let down by so many promises in our life. We get let down by people's promises all the time, like politicians. I don't even think I have to say any more. <laughs> Some guy comes up, he's like, hey, if you elect me, everything is going to be great, and I'll change this, and I'll do that, and I'll pay for this for you. Uh, and then they get elected, and it doesn't happen. And people are like, hey, why didn't you do that? And they're like, oh, well, it's those stinking... Democrats or those Republicans, you know, they're keeping me from doing that, so sorry, it's their fault, you know, uh, and so we get let down by politicians, and we get let down, let down by doctors who say, hey, you're going to be five foot seven when you grow up, uh, and they were a little bit too optimistic, uh, and we get let down by spouses who get up on an altar and say, hey, for richer or for poorer, for better or for worse, for in sickness or in health. And then one day they come and they say, hey, I actually love somebody else. We get promises broken to us by fathers who say, hey, yeah, I, I love you so much, uh, I'm, I'm going to stop drinking. But 
they actually have no power over themselves to stop. And so we get let down by all these promises made by people. But the real PTSD comes whenever people start talking about, hey, uh, God promised this. People coming and making promises in the name of the Lord. You guys know what I'm talking about? Trump will get elected, thus saith the Lord, for the second term. And we're all like, some, some of us are like, yay! <laughs> some of us are like, no! <laughs> uh, but then it doesn't happen. And we're like, well, we're a little bit skeptical the next time somebody comes and says, hey, God said this, or God promised this. Or one of my favorites, Jesus is coming back on this day. And that day rolls around, and they're like, this day. One of my favorite, I couldn't find this clip. I wanted to find it, but I, I didn't, so I'm just going to tell you about it. One of my favorite episodes of Parks and Rec is where there's a cult, and uh, every year they have this event at the park where they come in, and they're the the, uh, the lizard god Zorp is supposed to come and return and destroy the world, and so they have a big party and stuff, and they're trying to schedule it with the lady who runs the Parks and Rec department, and he's like, he's like, hey, Zorp is supposed to come back on August the 25th, and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry, we're booked then, and he goes, uh, the 27th? <laughs> uh, and we all know those people, they're like, hey, Jesus was supposed to come back like 500 times now, uh, but uh, he never did. And um, actually, no, that wasn't my personal favorite. My personal favorite is, God told me that you were supposed to marry me. And she's like, okay, well, I think he's going to need to tell me to. Uh, because that whole thing you got going on with your hair, uh, is whenever you bend over, uh, we, we see your butt crack. And that's just not cute. Uh, sorry, I probably shouldn't have said that from the stage. Anyway. Um, so yeah, we get all this kind of PTSD from people saying, hey, God said this, and it doesn't happen. And in addition to all these things, anytime that God makes a promise, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, whenever God makes a promise in the Bible, it's always challenged. It always gets put in jeopardy. Do you ever see somebody to whom God makes a promise in the Bible, and it's just smooth sailing all the way from promise to fulfillment? No doubt in anybody's mind. I can't think of one. I think about Abraham whenever he says, hey, I'm going to give you a son. And your descendants will outnumber the sand and the, sh- and the seashore and the stars in the sky. And before anything happens, before anything happens again, 25 years goes by. Could you imagine get, being given a promise at, at some, for something that you think is already too late, like getting promised a baby when you're 70 years old? Uh, and then nothing happens for 25 years, tell me that you wouldn't have some doubts in your mind that the Lord is going to do what he said. And then whenever the Lord gives you the promise, almost right away, he turns around and he says, uh, hey, I want you to kill your son. Over and over and over again, the promise gets tested. I think uh, it was Jack Deere that said this, don't call me out on it, but uh, he said this, the stronger or uh, more obvious, the, or the, the louder, the more clearly that the Lord speaks the promise, uh, or the bigger the promise, the more you're going to need it. So if the Lord comes and gives you a promise about something, uh, good for you, but uh, also watch out, because you might be getting ready to go through it. And so when you add all this stuff up together, you get, um, you got God, just like people breaking promises to us, and especially in God's name, and and then you see that God's making all these promises, and they're real, but they make people's lives usually a lot harder 
whenever they receive these promises, it just turns out that it seems like promises are messy. But the thing about that, even though promises are messy, God's still making them. He's still doing it. See, there's, there was never a more messy promise, never one that was more doubted, one that was more tested than this one that I'm about to read. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes David a really big promise. Well, actually, let me say this. David's making God a promise. And David, I'm just going to go ahead and start reading it in verse 1. It says, After the king settled in his palace and the Lord gave him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. And Nathan said to him, Hey, whatever you have in mind, do it. The Lord is with you. And then it says, But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Uh, And apparently David wasn't supposed to do whatever was in his heart. This is what God says. He says, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the, the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Why? And I, I never once did I tell any of the shepherds of my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? And then this is what God says to David. David comes to God and he says, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to build you a house. And then God turns around and he says this, Yahweh declares to you that Yahweh himself will build you a house. He says, and I will establish the throne of your kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And this is basically what went down. David said, God, I'm going to build you a house, four walls, roof. God says, no, you're not. I'm going to build you a house, a lineage, a family, a descendant, and your descendants will remain on the throne of Israel forever. And David, you know, he hears this, and the same result of all these people, other people who receive these promises, they're just like in awe, so happy. David falls on his knees, praises, worships, thanks God. Um, but here's the problem. Uh, a few hundred years later, the people rebel against the Lord, God's people do. And what ends up happening is David's descendants, the last one, King Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, is killed. And so there's no more descendants of David on the throne. And so people are looking at this and they're like, what happened to God's promise? They said that David is supposed, David's descendant is going to stay on the throne forever. And so people are thinking that God gave up on them. They're thinking that they messed it up too badly. And that the promise has become null and void. And so people are waiting for this, this promise of the Lord. Some people are, but most people have forgotten about it. Most people are thinking that God's given up on them. Except for a guy named Simeon. It tells us in our passage that we read earlier that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the Messiah. He was waiting for this descendant of David that God promised. He still believed that God's promise would come true. And so, and, and honestly, I also think that that's why God spoke to him and promised him that he would see the Messiah. It's because he hadn't given up hope. It's because he still believed that God said he was going to do what he was going to do. So, 
God comes to this man named Simeon and he makes him a promise. He says, hey, Simeon, you won't die until you see my Messiah. And so God's made this promise to David. He's made this promise to the people of Israel that his son will reign on the throne forever. He's spoken to Simeon and he said, hey, you will see this Messiah before you die. And then one day this little Messiah walks through the doors of the temple. Or he didn't walk, he was probably a baby, he got carried in. So starting in verse 27, coming back to our passage that we were reading, said, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. This is Simeon. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the nations and the glory of your people Israel. And this is my only other point. Straight from the lips of Simeon, as you have promised. God is not just a God who makes promises. God is a God who keeps promises. God promised that he would never leave or forsake his people. He promised that he would send this son of David who would rule forever. And he also promised a little guy named Simeon, this nobody in a temple, that he would see the Messiah. And in Jesus, he fulfilled the promise to all of them. See, there's this verse that says that in Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen. I don't know what it means. I don't know what that means either, but it's beautiful. And here, uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of both of these promises to these people. You know, Jim Simbler, the guy I was talking about earlier, um, he went out on this fishing trip and God told him, hey, uh, if you and your wife commit yourselves to seeking me in prayer, uh, you will never lack, basically paraphrasing, you will never lack anything and you will never be able to keep the doors, uh, you will never be able to contain all the people that I'll send to you. Well, uh, he went back to his church after that and uh, he told them what the Lord had told him and he basically told them, hey, the prayer meeting is going to be the main thing at this church from now on. Uh, seeking the Lord in prayer is going to be our main emphasis. We're still going to have Sunday morning. We want you to come to Sunday morning, but Tuesday night is going to be uh, where our hearts are at, and we want all of you to be there with us, seeking the Lord in prayer. And so he just kind of describes afterwards, this is what took place after they put that into practice. He said, that first Tuesday night, 15 to 18 people showed up. I had no agenda or program laid out. I just stood up and led the people in singing and praising God. Out of that came extended prayer. I felt a new sense of unity and love among us. God seemed to be knitting us together. In the weeks that followed, answers to prayer became noticeable. New people gradually joined with talents and skills that could help us. Unsaved relatives and total strangers began to show up. In those early days on Atlantic Avenue, as people drew near to the Lord, received the Spirit's fullness, and rekindled their first love for God, they naturally began to talk about it on their jobs, in their apartment buildings, at family gatherings. Soon, they were bringing new people. From that day to the present, more than two decades later, there has never been a season of decline in the church. Thank God. By His grace, we have never had a faction rise up and decide to split away. 
God has continued to send people who need help. Often, I can't even find out how they learned of us. The offerings improved to the point where we could make some building repairs. We replaced the tumble-down pews with fiberglass chairs that locked together. More important, however, people began to sense the presence of the Lord in that humble place. The Lord kept his promise to Jim Cimbala. If you go on and you continue reading his story, which I highly recommend, uh, they actually struggled as a church to keep people, to have enough space for all the people that God would send to them over time. They would get a new place that would, you know, actually have enough room for all their people, and then it would fill up, and then they would have to find another place, and it was always this constant, beautiful struggle. And they ended up planning more churches, uh, doing the same thing that, that their church was doing, and Jim Cimbala went on, and he just really has been one of God's tools to reignite the fires of prayer in his church over the past 50 years. God kept his promise to Jim Cimbala. I got one more story. Um, and I may have told you this story before, so forgive me if I have. But um, there was one of the, I can probably count on like one, one hand uh, how, or two fingers how many times I feel like the Lord has actually made a promise uh, to me. And one of them was, uh, this was a, back, I think it was December of 2015, and uh, I was just really, I was hungry for, I was lonely, and I, I wanted, I was looking for uh, my wife, and I was wondering if the Lord had that for me. I knew that Paul said that, you know, people who really, really want to pursue the Lord, you shouldn't get married, you know, and stuff like that, and so I've been thinking about that, um, and I was just talking with one of my uh, mentors, and uh, I was just kind of venting, that, and, and, you know, she was single for a very long time, and so I was wondering if the Lord had that for me as well, and so I was talking with her, and I was just expressing that, that in my heart, like, you know, I, I'm lonely, I really want, uh, I really want to marry, um, you know, a beautiful Christian woman, and, but I feel like the Lord might be calling me to, you know, be single, you know, to serve him in that way, and, um, this had never happened before with this person or really with anybody before or since, but uh, she just looked at me and she was like, no. And I was like, what do you mean, no? And she said, well, I just feel the Lord telling me that that's not what's going to take place. You are, I feel like what he's telling me is you are going to be married, and uh, the reason is you will actually accomplish more in ministry with her than you will by yourself. Um, and so, you know, my heart is like, oh, wow, this is like the best thing I've ever heard. Uh, this is, you know, my heart's desire. This is what I want, uh, a beautiful Christian woman, and to do much for the Lord. And she's telling me that they're not mutually exclusive. And so I'm getting really excited. And uh, she says, but um, you have to be, this will not happen until you become okay without her. Uh, and so I left and uh, just kind of, like the Bible says about Mary, kind of treasured those things in my heart. Um, and went back to school that year, that next semester was my last semester at Bible college, and I don't know if you know this about Bible college, anybody's ever been there before, but uh, every new, there's not many people there, and if you go to Bible college, you're probably there maybe to get a degree, but you're probably like me trying to find a beautiful Christian honey uh, to, to take home as your wife. Uh, and so that's what you do, you come to Bible college the first semester, you look around at the class of 100 people, and you're like, okay, my wife's not here, they're all either taken or crazy. Uh, and so, oh, I don't know if you guys know this, but dudes, uh, 
if you call it, if you ever hear a dude call a girl crazy, it means she's just too pretty for them. It wasn't into them, and so like, oh, she's crazy. Uh, and so that's that's how it works. And so uh, they were all either taken or crazy. And so you know, you wait for the next batch of new people to come, new girls to come in the next semester. And so I did that every semester. I waited for the new girls to come in, uh, find my Christian honey that was going to be uh, in that class, and she didn't show up. And I did this every semester until, you know, I told you that. Uh, I told you what, what my mentor had said. Uh, it was right before my last semester at DCC. And so I was like, you know what? I'm a senior, and I don't think I want to wait for some girl to come in who's 18 years old and, you know, wait for her to go through Bible college, and I'm not about that. And so this was the first time ever that I was like, I don't think I'm going to— like, I just didn't even think about looking for girls in the upcoming class. And the Lord started just making me okay with not finding her, you know, for a while. And so as promised— as soon as I became okay uh, without that girl um, that I was looking for in my heart, uh, this beautiful curly-haired uh, Latina woman uh, showed up at our mission trip to Mexico that year, and uh, I went up to her, and I said, hey, and I started talking to her, and she told me I asked too many questions, uh, and then she called me cute boy at some point, uh, and then the rest is history. But the, I looked back at that, and I was like, wow, the Lord did exactly what she said, um, not, not only in that whenever I stopped looking for this woman that she showed up and she was that woman, but also looking back now, her word about accomplishing more with her than without her has reigned totally true in my life. And so I look back and I, I'm, I'm seeing in my own life, God is keeping promises that he made to me. And what I want all of us to, to pull from this message now, what do we do from this? God makes promises. God keeps promises. What does that mean to me? Hold on to the promises. I don't know if God has come and spoken to you a specific promise that's just uh, specific to you in your life. Maybe he has or he hasn't. But God has spoken promises to all of us. Jesus said, Behold, I will be with you until the end of the age. God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. We were told that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. If whatever you're going through is not good, that means it's not over. Maritza showed me this one passage this week. A beautiful thing about having a uh, godly Christian wife is that you get double the revelation. You get your own, and you get to hear from hers. And so this is a little bit of hers. Uh, she shared this passage with me that really touched her heart. It says this, this is uh, Psalm 119.50. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. I think I lied earlier. I think I do know why the Lord gives promises. Um, I think this is the reason, is that his promises give us life. Whenever we are in despair, whenever we're hurting, whenever we are going through things that we couldn't possibly get through on our own, or when God has called us to something that's bigger than we are, it's his promise that gives us life. It's his promise that gets us through it. Whether it's, hey, I'm going to do this with your church, and I'm going to see it to fruition. Or whether it's just as simple as, I'm with you. God's promise is what gets us through. God's promise is what restores us, is what gives us life. So my, my charge to you this morning is hold on to the promises that God has given you.
What I was hoping to do this morning, uh, actually this morning as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, I really felt the impression that uh, the Lord wants to pour out upon us this morning. Um, and so, Terry, you can go ahead uh, and get that music going. We're just going to play some music up here, um, and we're going to open up the altar. Um, and if you are hungry for the Lord and you're wanting more of Him, just more of His presence in your life, uh, we're just going to open this up down here for you to come. There's not going to be anybody here uh, praying for you or anything. It's just going to be you and the Lord. Um, and if you don't want to do that, if that's just you, if you need to get on your knees at your own chair or whatever, but uh, I just really sense the Lord uh, saying that He wants to pour out on upon us this morning. So um, in this time, come and seek the Lord. Come and ask for His presence if you are that person who is feeling hungry uh, for the Lord. <clears throat> 